All right, if you've got your Bibles, please open up to Daniel chapter 6, for we're going to turn to one of the best known and most loved of all the true stories in the Bible, as we've just heard in the kids' slot, Daniel in the lion's den. Now, this story is the last story in the book of Daniel before chapters 7 to 12 take us into the difficult to understand apocalyptic visions of the future and the end of the world. Uh, and it's a story that closely parallels what we looked at last week, which was the story of Rakshak and Benny, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, and how they are saved from the fiery furnace. Now, the story of Daniel in the lion's den is a story that we know. We've just listened to it. It's a story that we love. And it can be a story that's so familiar to us with Daniel and those cute little lions that the story doesn't speak to us in the way that it should, that it doesn't confront us in places that it needs to confront us, and it doesn't comfort us in the ways that God intends. And it's a story not just for kids, but for all of us. So we're going to look at it again this morning. And as we retell the story and, uh, and as we consider it together, I want to pray that God would give us fresh insight into both the truth of what we hear and into our own hearts so that the story of Daniel in the lion's den might have its intended effect upon us. And we're going to consider four responses to what happens in this story. So please read along with me from Daniel chapter six. It pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents or prime ministers of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps would give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all of the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. <clears throat> then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O oh, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governments are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees. <coughs> Excuse me. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions? And the king answered and said, 
The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he laboured till the sun went down to rescue him. But then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was bought, brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. <clears throat> then, at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And the king declared to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. And then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations and languages that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal domain, or dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall never be to the end. He delivers and he rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. And he who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Let me pray for us and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this familiar story. We've already heard it now twice this morning, but we pray that familiarity would not breed complacency or contempt for your word, but that you would give us fresh insights into both the truth of the story and into the need of the story for our own hearts and that you might shine the light of your good news upon us again and stir our hearts to faith and to faithfulness in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, there's a sign on the palace, the royal palace door that says under new management, 
for Belshazzar, who was the king in Daniel chapter five, and obviously Nebuchadnezzar in chapters one to four, have both died. And Darius the Mede, who could also be known as Cyrus the Persian, is now in charge. And the, the Medo-Persians have conquered the Babylonians and taken over their former empire. But Daniel is still there. At this time, he's probably 80 years old, maybe a bit more, early 80s, mid 80s. And it's immediately recognized by the new king that he is a man who is wise and gifted and an exceptional and effective leader. And so he's made one of three prime ministers in the land to supervise the 120 satraps. They were regional governors who took care of the day to day handling affairs of the kingdom. Uh, he was made supervisor, one of the prime ministers. But his meteoric rise to the top of this new political pile cheesed off his rivals and his opponents and his contemporaries. And jealousy drives them to hatch a plot to get him out, to get rid of him. How dare this old Hebrew exile get the top job in the country, in the kingdom? If you've watched Veggie Tales, there's a great song. Izzy was asking if I was going to sing it this morning, so I'm going to attempt it. Uh, and you see these vegetables dancing around and they sing, Oh no, what we're going to do? The king loves Daniel more than me and you. Oh no, what we're going to do? we got to get him out of here. And then they sing about how they could throw him in the dungeon, how they could get rid of him. And so that was their plan. It's a little bit like modern politics and the media who are seeking to discredit and disqualify people through character assassinations. So perhaps these guys hire a private detective to dig the dirt, seeking juicy gossip, skeletons in the closet of Daniel. And what they find is he's squeaky clean. He's like a Mary Poppins of the Babylonian world. His track record is impeccable. He's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. He's a man of good conduct. And so there's nothing that they can find on him. He's like Teflon, everything, all the charges fall off him, slip off him. And that's an incredible testimony to the grace of God in Daniel's life because he has lived as an exile away from Israel, away from Jerusalem, for probably close to 70 years at this time. And yet, in the midst of living in a corrupt and defiled and decadent and wholly ungodly pagan society, Daniel is still known as an exile. He's still known as someone who is faultless and faithful to his God. Not only did he start strong, Daniel chapter one, he's probably in his mid-teens, but at the end of his life in Daniel chapter six, he finished strong, which is a testimony to the grace of God in his life. But Daniel's enemies in verse five decide that the only way to get him is to frame him and to manufacture his downfall. And so their twisted minds conjure up a devious plan. They know that God is primary in Daniel's life. They know that he's the center of Daniel's life. And so they will strike him there, get him right at the heart of who he is and what he does. And they will pit Daniel's loyalty to his God against the loyalty to the king because they knew which way Daniel would go. <clears throat> so in verses six to nine, in a masterpiece of political deception with flattery and seductive words, these uh, rivals stroke the king's ego and they persuade Darius to pass a law forbidding prayer to anybody but him for 30 days. Now, if you think about it, that's an extremely strange proposal because it, in effect, they go to the king and they say, listen, Darius, 
we all think it's a great idea that you be our one and only God, but only for a month. Well, this appeals to the vanity of the king. And so he signs declaration papers, which we're told repeatedly throughout the text that they cannot be changed. They cannot be repealed. They cannot be broken. So the trap is set. Daniel is faced with a choice. Will he obey the king or will he obey God? Will he deny his faith in Yahweh or will he be thrown to the lions if he remains faithful? What will he do? Well, that question leads us to the first of our four responses, the response of Daniel. In verse 10, Daniel becomes aware that this new law has been passed and we see his response. There's no inner turmoil. There's no excuses, no second thoughts, no hesitation. He goes home. He goes upstairs. He goes to the window and he does what he has always done. It's business as usual for Daniel. He gets down on his knees and he prays to his God three times a day as was his habit. And what we see in his response is that Daniel has an unshakable faith in God and an unflinching faithfulness to God. An unshakable faith in God and an unflinching faithfulness and obedience to God. The situation that Daniel was presented with was not an opportunity for him to opt out of faithfulness, to put his faith on the shelf and just go with the flow of the culture. But he sees the situation that he is thrust into as an opportunity for the climax of his faith and faithfulness to be seen. Even though he knew it would cost him great personal harm and trouble, he exercised faith in God and continued in his faithful practice toward God, in engaging with God in fellowship. And there was nothing that could be done that would change him or alter when and how he prayed to his God. Now, don't misunderstand. This is not Daniel making a public demonstration or a show or virtue signaling that he's righteous. This is Daniel just doing what he's always done. But it is a public statement about the glory of God above the glory of any human king. God was the most important thing to Daniel. What God said and what God wanted was the most important thing to Daniel. And he would not surrender his faith or his testimony for the sake of his own comfort or for the preserving of his own life. He would rather pray and go to the lion's den than forego his testimony of faith in God and escape. Faith in God for Daniel was the overwhelming reality and the governing factor of his life. And he pursued God and fellowship with God and was prepared to trust God no matter what the cost. And his faith in God gave him courage to risk everything, even to the point of death, to be faithful to his God. And in that moment of trial and trouble and temptation, Daniel demonstrated composure and grace and spiritual resolve and trust in God, even in the midst of suffering and opposition and threat and death. 
Then in verses 11 to 15, Daniel's enemies, we're told, are spying on him and they catch him red-handed praying to his God. And so these conspirators rush to King Darius and they say to him, didn't we pass a law? Didn't you pass a law saying no one could pray? But Daniel is praying to his God. He's not following the law and he needs to be punished. Now, Darius is greatly distressed at this news. He's probably sorry to, to lose such a faithful and loyal friend and advisor as Daniel. So he seeks a way to get around this law, but it's all to no avail. This king who is supposed to be so powerful and mighty, who has conquered the Babylonians and set up a new kingdom, he's actually pretty powerless and weak right in this moment. And it comes about that he has to reluctantly concede. And he sentences Daniel to death in the lion's den. So in verses 16 to 18, he calls Daniel and he sentences him and has him thrown into the den of lions. Then we're told a great stone is rolled over the entrance and it is sealed by the king's ring and by the rings of his satraps so that no one can tamper with the lion's den and no one can escape from the lion's den. Daniel, 80 years old hopeless and helpless. No way he could climb out of the lion's den. No way, humanly speaking, that he wouldn't end up as lion food. This was a certain death. But the stage is set. The stage is set for the second response. And that's the response of Daniel's God. Darius returns to his palace he has a sleepless night. He's unable to enjoy the comforts of being the king. And then when the dawn breaks the very next morning in verses 21 and 22, we are told that Daniel, Darius rushes down to the den of lions, perhaps with a glimmer of hope that, you know, my idols of wood and stone and, and metal, they wouldn't be able to save um, me from a lion's den. But maybe Daniel's God is different. And to his great surprise, when he calls out to Daniel, Daniel responds and he discovers the miracle of Daniel's great deliverance. This King Darius, whose power had conquered Babylon, Babylon, who had established a mighty kingdom that, had, that ran from the Atlantic coast in the west all the way through the Mediterranean and North Africa, right through to the east of India, he couldn't save Daniel. He couldn't repeal his stupid egocentrical laws in, to save one of his most loyal advisors. He couldn't do anything. He was powerless. And yet Daniel's God overrules. He overrules Darius. He overrules all of the other government officials, all of the satraps, everybody who had come together, all of the best people in the kingdom and all the best minds that had come together to offer the king advice. God overrules them because he's sovereign over all kings and over all kingdoms. He's in control of all earthly empires. And in fact, he's using all of the actions of history and kings and kingdoms to further his own perfect plan and purposes. At the same time, being able to save and protect all those who will trust in him. And the theme of Daniel, the whole book, is seen again in this chapter, that in spite of present circumstances and appearances to the contrary, God is in sovereign control of all things. He's in control of everything that happens. He's in control of history. He's in control of today. He's in control of tomorrow. 
But Daniel tells us how God has preserved and protected him. He says that God had sent an angel to shut up the mouths of the lions and to protect him in the midst of his suffering. So just as in Daniel chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace, an angel appears and it's a physical demonstration of God's presence with his people in the midst of suffering and of his power to deliver his people when they trust in him. And Daniel, regardless of what would happen to him, he entrusted his whole life literally into the hands of God and was faithful to him. And his faith in God was a testimony to his trust in God and God's power to be with him, to deliver him, to save him in the midst of any trial or suffering or opposition that he would face. He knew that God would be with his people and that ultimately, even if not in the immediate, he would deliver him from all harm. And in Daniel chapter six, we see again that God didn't just rescue Daniel from the lion's den. He sent his emissary into the lion's den to be with Daniel. For God promises his people that we can count on his presence with us no matter what, ensuring that he will. He ensures us that he will be with us in the midst of all trials, in the midst of all sufferings that we might face, that he will ultimately deliver us from all harm. He might not immediately deliver us from all harm, but he will ultimately deliver us from all harm. For in spite of present circumstances in our world, in the 21st century that we live in, in spite of appearances to the contrary, God is in complete sovereign control of today, of your life and of my life, of all of history, all of creation, of all things. And he is with us to carry us, to comfort us, to tenderly care for us. And if Darius got the surprise of his life when he went down to the lion's den, well, he wasn't alone in the surprise because in verse 24, Darius calls out all of those malicious rivals and enemies that accused Daniel together with all of their families and he gives them to the lions as food. And to make sure that we understand the miraculousness of Daniel's deliverance and of God's response, we're told that the lions overpower all of these people that are thrown into the den, even before they can hit the bottom, that their bones are broken and that they're gobbled up. It's quite a remarkable response from God. He saves Daniel to the utmost. And just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego had no singed hairs, no smell, no, no, no signs of anything that the fire had done to them, Daniel comes out, no, scorch, uh, no scratch marks, no bite marks, no lion hair on him, nothing. For God had completely delivered him. And then we see the third response, the response of Darius the king in verses 25 to 27. For God again brings the ruler of the mightiest empire in the world to his knees to acknowledge the greatness and the glory of God. Darius issues this royal decree to all of the peoples in his kingdom that they are to fear Daniel's God. And you'll notice what he says about Daniel's God. He says he's the living God, that he's a saving God and that he is the true king of kings. The living God, the saving God, the true king of kings. And the story about Daniel in the lion's den is not ultimately about Daniel and his faith and faithfulness. Certainly not about the lions. 
It's about Daniel's God and the recognition, even from the lips of a pagan king, that he is the true living, saving king and God. Darius's response is a reminder to all of us, to the reader and to everybody who's ever heard this story, that God is in complete control of all situations and that therefore we should trust him, that he is worthy of being trusted, that we can believe his word, that we can put our faith in him, that we can worship him and entrust our entire lives into his hands, just as Daniel did. And Darius's declaration then leads us to consider a fourth response. And that's the response of you and me, the response of you and me. Now, there's many things that we could glean from this story uh, that could apply to our lives. But I just want to zero in on, on kind of three areas to help us this morning. And the first thing is this, it's Daniel's example. Why would an 80-year-old man be thrown into a pit of ravenous lions just for praying? You know, if you think about it, that seems almost inexplicable and completely unfair. Yeah, but he didn't deserve that. This test, this thing that had come upon him, it wasn't his own making. It wasn't anything that, that he had brought about through foolishness or silly sin or engaging in something that he, should have been, he shouldn't have been doing. This was something that struck him from the outside. And all of us will face tests to our faith from situations that seem inexplicable to us or they seem completely unfair to us. This was not our own doing. That could be the coronavirus and the COVID-19 stuff that we're facing right now, how it affects our health, how it affects our wealth. It could be persecution from uh, the anti-Christian world that we live in. It could be opposition from people next door to us or at school or in our neighborhoods or in our workplaces. It could be anything that tests our faith. And we will all go through periods of trying and testing where the question where it will the question will come, where is our allegiance to God? Will we worship him and trust him alone? Will our profession of faith hold true or will we capitulate? Will we compromise? Will we throw away our faith and our testimony for our own comfort to preserve our own well-being? The questions will come. And Daniel's example shows us how to be faithful to God and how to have faith in God, no matter what life throws at us. And through Daniel's example, God is calling us to be faithful as his people in spite of whatever we might face. So let us cultivate faith in God and faithfulness towards God like Daniel. You know, if you look at his relationship his, with God, it wasn't crisis oriented. He was a man who was regular and daily in his communion and fellowship with God. And that regular, faithful, frequent communion and fellowship with God shaped who Daniel was. It shaped his character. It shaped his conduct. It shaped his worldview so that he was ready and prepared to meet the challenges that lay ahead of him. And that he could handle them in a way that honored God. So for Daniel, prayer was a vital breath. It gave, he gave hours and days and weeks and months and years to prayer. And this faithful, regular, disciplined, frequent, undistracted, devoted habit, the quiet ordinariness of his faithfulness to God prepared him for anything that life could throw at him. So here's the thing for us today. 
None of us, regardless of what age we are, whether we be 16 or 60 or 80, we shouldn't assume that we have passed through the biggest test of our lives so far. Daniel might have thought that he passed through the biggest test in Daniel chapter one when he was a teenager. But actually, his biggest test was when he was 80 years old. And we mustn't assume that we've passed through our biggest test just yet. It may be that it's down the road still to come. But let us prepare now so that just like Daniel, we are ready to meet the challenges ahead because of our communion and fellowship with God that has shaped our lives, our conduct, our characters and our worldview. Let's, as the people often like to say in sermons about Daniel, let's dare to be a Daniel. There we go. There I've said it. But let's prepare now for the challenges that we face now and we might face in the future. So that's the first thing, Daniel's example. But then Daniel's deliverance. In verse 28, we find out that Daniel has lived almost his entire life in exile and that God has preserved him, not just enabling him to survive, but to thrive under successive kings and kingdoms. And Daniel's life is a reminder to each one of us that life is neither easy nor really our real home. And that God pre preserves and protects his people, even, the midst, even in the midst of enemies and trials and suffering. Could God have saved Daniel from the lion's den? Well, of course he could. Of course he could save Daniel. He could do anything. But instead, God chose to save Daniel, not from the lion's den, but through the lion's den, through the trial. And Daniel's deliverance reminds us that God is not primarily committed to our comfort. He's not primarily committed to making our path through life smooth and trouble free. But what God is committed to doing for his people is to sanctifying us, to making us more like his dear son, Jesus Christ, and to helping us to demonstrate the power and glory of God in our lives. Ian Duguid, in his commentary on Daniel, says this. God will subject our earthen vessels to pressures that would certainly shatter us were his grace not sufficient for us. The Lord will take you into the eye of the storm to show you that he is the storm's master and that he can make your fragile vessel float safely through to the other side. You and I are strangers and aliens living in a world that is not our home and it's a dangerous place for us to live. And even though we're surrounded by enemies and opponents, they do not have the last say on our lives, just like they didn't have the last say on Daniel's life. God does. So in the midst of trial and suffering, even when we might get persecuted for our faith, we can have peace. God is sovereign and God is with us and he will ultimately deliver us from all harm. In spite of present circumstances and appearances to the contrary, God is in control. We can trust him. And he is powerful and wise and rules over everything and is using all things for our good and his glory. So we can trust him and we should trust him. Sometimes he might send an angel to protect us. Sometimes he might not. But one thing we know above everything else, he has sent his son to be with us, to rescue us, to save us, preserve us and protect us. And that's the final thing that we see as we think about our response. Daniel's saviour. 
Like chapter three, Daniel chapter six is a powerful example of God's power and ability to save those who trust in him. But it's not repetition for repetition's sake. They're trying to make a point. But the point here in Daniel chapter six is more than just God saves. It's that God can overrule the evil intentions of human beings to bring about his saving work. That just as the, Daniel's enemies conspired against him to do evil to him, God was able to turn that tragedy and that evil and that darkness around and use it for his own purposes and his own glory. And that as we saw in the kids slot, the story of Daniel points us to the greater Daniel, to Jesus. You can't help but read this story and see Jesus and all of the similarities between Daniel and Jesus that the story pointed out. And what we go away with is that Dan, Jesus is the greater Daniel. But the massive difference between Daniel and Jesus is this. Daniel went to the lion's den for his faithfulness to God. And God protected him and saved him and him alone. But Jesus went to the cross for our unfaithfulness. To pay the penalty of sins that he had not committed himself, but that we had done. And in dying on that cross, he saves all who will trust in him. And he offers to everyone, to all of us watching, whether we be a Christian or whether we be not a Christian at this moment, he offers us all a share in the new life that he has. If we will turn to him in repentance and faith and trust him to be our savior and king. For he's the better Daniel who's been cast into the lion's den of death and he emerges at dawn on the third day alive, vindicated by the father. And he is the giver of life and salvation to all who trust in him. So will you trust? Let's pray.